So at this time, we should establish mindfulness on the in and out breathing. We can look at the, the different objects of the four foundations of mindfulness that the Buddha taught. And this practice that we do gathers together and comes together in these four satipatthanas, these four foundations of mindfulness that the Buddha taught. And we can look at um, back when the Buddha taught these four satipatthanas, he taught them to a, at a certain city in present day India. And the population of that city, the audience of the sutta had a high level of wisdom already. And then the Buddha taught the satipatthana sutta that uh, we know of. And the Satipatthana Sutta describes four different realms for us to establish uh, mindfulness with. The body is the first, the second is Vedana or feeling, the third is uh, Jitta or the mind, and the fourth is Dhamma. So usually uh, when we practice if one has a mind that's more uh, subtle, one can contemplate the mind or dhammas. And then the first foundation of the body, suitable for individuals with a coarser type of mind with more sensual desire. And if one's mind is a bit uh, subtler than that, one can do the second foundation of mindfulness of Vedana. And if, uh, yeah, if one has a slightly more coarse type of wisdom, one can do the third foundation of the mind and more subtle one can do the fourth foundation of dhammas. And one example of the fourth foundation of dhammas is contemplating dependent origination, um, which is describing uh, starting with ignorance all the way up to um, birth and then aging, sickness and death. And on the day of Visakha Puja, the Buddha um, saw clearly into the truth of dependent origination. And this is something that requires great wisdom. And for some individuals, they contemplate dhammas in order to realize awakening, such as the venerable Subhadda, the last Arahant during the lifetime of the Buddha and he was looking at the moon at night which was obscured by clouds and he contemplated that the moods and sense objects obscure the radiant mind just like the clouds obscuring the moon and he saw that these moods and sense objects arise and pass away and seeing this clearly he realized Arahantship so he was an, an individual with a high level of parami, with full parami already. So looking at this foundation of mindfulness of the mind, one can ask oneself, is there greed present in the mind or not? Is there aversion present in the mind or not? Is there delusion present in the mind or not? And if the mind does have any of these three kilesas, then know it. Know that that's what's happening. Know the cause, know the result. 
know the reason for clinging arising in the mind and one should practice to know this clearly and seeing this clearly one sees that the mind is not a me not a mind not a self one can see that the mind is just the mind the mind is just the mind however if the mind is busy and proliferating one will not be able to see that the mind is not self and not a me one will only be able to know just a little bit and not see clearly if one's mind is distracted in this way so with strong mindfulness one can see sense objects arise and pass away and then the mind can be peaceful still and collected in samadhi and when samadhi arises and increases in this way then the mind can be empty because one sees that the mind is not self if one has sufficient strength if there is not sufficient strength in the mind the mind one will see that the mind just clings uh, to what what arises and this is due to greed aversion and delusion and the, there will be a sense of self a sense of self and we can ask where is the sense of self where is it located we can look at these four elements of earth air fire and water and see where is the self is it in the earth is it in the water in the fire or in the air and we can look for instance at this element of earth which we can say is the quality of hardness or the solidity and we can see that this earth element in the body its nature is to degrade and pass away for instance looking at the bones the bones of the human body looking at them as an example of the solidity or earth element and after death the bones will degrade from the color white to the color brown and they'll just uh, disintegrate so this body is composed of simply these four elements and in one element just pick an element and contemplate right there in this way the mind can become peaceful and collected and this is what we call shamatha so contemplating these four elements this is a shamatha practice and contemplating the not beautiful aspects of the body such as looking at the 32 parts of the body this is also a shamatha practice tranquility practice it's a way to make the mind peaceful and we should practice to have the mind to be established in mindfulness to be peaceful and we call this shamatha so in our practice we also use wisdom to make the minds peaceful we use uh, wisdom as a support for shamatha for example seeing the body clearly the mind becomes empty and this is peaceful this is peacefulness and seeing the four elements and separating these four elements out we see that they're not self not a me not a mind and however one will not be able to do this if one's samadhi is too low one will not be able to see clearly if the mind's not collected so one should make it so that the mind is collected sufficiently to be able to contemplate 
and one can then contemplate the body as just a heap of these four elements and one sees clearly into not self because the mind has sufficient strength and energy and when the mind is collected in this way the body can feel very light can feel empty even as if the body is floating in the air and the mind can then have strength because it is uh, proficient at collecting into samadhi. So at the start, when one's mind is collecting this way, one may not want to contemplate. And however, we should contemplate the body until seeing clearly that the body is not a self, a me or a mine. And in the beginning, doing this tranquility, this shamatha practice, one may think that um, those who practice vipassana, clear seeing, that their samadhi is too low and they can't compete with oneself who's doing a superior shamatha practice. So for instance, a shamatha practice would be contemplating death, marna nusati seeing that all beings must die, oneself must die. And, and one may think, well, contemplating death in this way, one can only realize upajara samadhi, neighborhood concentration. And one may have a doubt arise. Will one be able to see the Dhamma in this way, practicing this way? If one does not, attain to apana, samadhi, uh, one-pointedness, will one be able to see the Dhamma? And the answer is that yes, you can see the Dhamma practicing in this way. You see that we all must die and then these bodies degrade, the four elements disintegrate. Or you can uh, first look at the not beautiful nature of the body. And this needs the strength of samadhi as a foundation in order to see asubha, to see the not beautiful aspects of the body clearly. And to see this uh, body as a heap of the four elements clearly, to see emptiness clearly, the mind needs samadhi. So establish the mind in samadhi and then contemplate. And doing only samadhi practice one may think that, oh, doing samadhi practice, there's no wisdom there. It's only shamatha. And this cannot cut off the kilesas um, because one does not see the body clearly. And one still has uh, kilesas like greed, aversion, and delusion. And they're merely being suppressed. They're not being cut off. So in truth, the shamatha tranquility practice is useful. And one can use this basis of samadhi to then use to go contemplate with. And in this way, one is able to see the Dhamma. And along the way, one will feel at ease having samadhi, having collectedness of mind. And the path of contemplating a lot is also a legitimate path to seeing the Dhamma. Contemplating a lot De developing wisdom in this way, one is capable of seeing the Dhamma. So we can see that there's no need for these two, uh, two viewpoints to fight with each other. To see the Dhamma, one needs 
uh, collectedness of mind and wisdom. And one must use contemplation in order to then let go. And this is when the path of sila, samadhi, and panya comes together as one thing. So there's no need to um, speak in bad ways about the path of shamatha or vipassana, samadhi, or panya. Uh, some people do uh, more shamatha practice in the beginning and others do more wisdom practice, but there's no need to criticize them or tell them to do anything differently. And contemplating in this way and practicing in this way, one can see that each aggregate of form, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness are they're just as they are. They're just what they are. So if, uh, if our mindfulness is enough, and then we see that everything is Dhamma. If there's enough strength in the mind, then we'll see everything that arises, we'll see it as Dhamma. However, if the strength is not enough, then we won't see this clearly. And we can look at the example of uh, Lungpu Tongrat, a great monk um, in Thailand. And there was a case where an individual became angry with him and spoke angrily towards him. And then he exclaimed, oh, the Dhamma has arisen, the Dhamma has arisen, and he raised his palms in Anjali on this occasion. So we can see that this, uh, this is an example of everything that arises is Dhamma. And we can also look at the example of Lumpu Buna, a disciple of, I believe, Lumpu Man, and he was an individual with a high level of loving kindness. And again, there is an example of um, of a particular interaction he had with someone, and he exclaimed, "Oh, the Dhamma has arisen! The Dhamma has arisen!" So he was one who saw with Dhamma and saw that everything is Dhamma. So, for for us or for individuals who still have attachment to the body, who have greed, aversion, and delusion, one should practice having mindfulness with the body. And then this, uh, the mind will become collected in samadhi. And when the mind becomes collected in this way, one then contemplates the arising and falling away of all phenomena and sees that the phenomena of greed, aversion, and delusion also arise and fall away. And in this way, one can realize a temporary liberation. So one should practice this often. And if one's mindfulness is too slow, one won't catch these things in time. And therefore, one must practice patient endurance, have mindfulness sufficient in order to be firm in one's practice of virtue or sila, have mindfulness firm with the different vedana that arise, either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral with the various uh, sense doors. And notice if liking or disliking arise, have mindfulness with this and have mindfulness uh, to be able to control one's body and speech and to keep one's actions of body and one's actions of speech in line with 
the practice of virtue. And one has mindfulness with one's heart and mind. And one can ask, what is the mind like in this moment? And look at the mind and practice patient endurance. And we can see that the Buddha taught that patient endurance is the supreme incinerator of defilements. So one must practice this patient endurance a lot. Sometimes individuals are rude or speak uh, rude, rudely or angrily towards us in various things that uh, we may not wish for or we may find unpleasant will arise in our lives. So we must practice patient endurance and cultivate our parami of sila, our virtue parami. We can look at the story of the, our Buddha when he was still a bodhisattva. He was a Naga prince and he was tortured um, by a human in that lifetime. And he practiced a high level of patient endurance and he maintained his practice of sila, of virtue. And he made this um, parami of virtue, made it into a, a great perfection went from the level of a normal perfection to a utmost uh, parami, utmost perfection of, of virtue. And this uh, sila parami, the bodhisattva had to have kanti, uh, patient endurance. And he didn't harm this human at all, even though as a naga, he had such great powers and abilities that he he was capable of escaping from this situation where he was being tortured by the human. So this is something that's very hard to endure, but the Bodhisattva was able to endure it. So one must practice, one must have mindfulness, and one should cultivate right view. And this right view will assist us in having right speech and right action, these factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. And for instance, one can look at one's speech during the day. One can ask oneself, what value has my speech had today? Have I spoken anything useful? Have I spoken anything useless? What use has my speech been today? And so for us as practitioners to speak all day long, this can be something that's not useful to us. And it could be and it may be more useful to recite Bhutto instead. So one should observe oneself and see what the situation is in one's own life and the effect that one's speech has on one's mind and if one speaks more than is necessary. So one must be careful, one must be restrained. One should be firm in heedfulness. So being restrained in this way one patiently endures. And then these are factors that lead to firmness in samadhi and collectedness of mind. So practice in this way, whether one is a monastic or a lay person, one must receive various moods from oneself and one's environment. As a lay person, one may think that living in the monastery must be peaceful all the time and one does not have to encounter the various moods of other people and oneself. Um, however, for individuals living in the monastery, this is not the case. One must receive these moods and sense impressions all the same. 
So we all must practice. And for those living in society, for instance, with a husband or a wife, um, one spouse may speak only just a little bit and then one feels angry already, one feels upset already. So one should practice patient endurance with this. One should practice to be firm in one's practice of virtue and cultivate loving kindness, do the metta bhavana. And one should do this at home, do this at work, do this in all the various situations that one finds oneself in. And again, asking oneself, what use is our speech? Um, what use and value has our speech given to ourselves and others? And to ask oneself this question. And then we come back to contemplate the body as merely a heap of these four elements of earth, air, water, and fire. And that these, this body and these elements must fall apart and degrade, must experience death and decay. This body is merely a heap of impermanence, stress, and not self. It is something that's not beautiful, a suba. And one can uh, see it in terms of earth, air, fire, and water. So one can pick whatever one of these contemplations, whichever one of these themes of contemplation that one has an affinity for, whichever one one likes, and then contemplate this a lot. There's no need to doubt about this. So for an individual who does a lot of study, one may also have a lot of doubts if one does a lot of study. But one should just keep practicing anyway, even if you have a lot of doubts, and you can get there all the same. This is what Lumpu Cha taught. For myself, I felt uh, many doubts in the beginning, doing a lot of death contemplation. And Nopu Cha shared this teaching that there's no need to worry. Just do one's kamatana, do one's practice a lot, keep going, contemplate a lot. And one who does this without stopping can reach the goal all the same. So do this practice to make the mind peaceful. And when one's parami is enough, then it's, it's not hard to see the Dhamma at that point. We can look at the example of Venerable Yasa. He had done Subha Kamatana and made his mind into a deep state of absorption or jhana in a past life. And then in his last life, he was born into a situation of great wealth and he had a large retinue. And then one night, he awoke to see his retinue uh, sleeping in a disorderly fashion. And in his heart, he felt like it was looking at a cremation ground. And he felt a great disenchantment, a great um, sanguega in his heart. So he left his uh, palace. He left and walked outside. And then he was able to encounter the Buddha. And the Buddha uh, gave a graduated teaching, a graduated discourse. And um, this is a discourse where the Buddha starts out talking about generosity, virtue, the uh, drawbacks and sensual pleasures and the bliss of renunciation and so on. And then hearing this discourse, Venerable Yasa realized 
stream entry, the first stage of enlightenment. And then not long after, during a second discourse, um, listening to the second discourse, Renable Yasa realized uh, full enlightenment, arahanship. So for ourselves, we can look at our practice of the fifth precept and see um, if we smoke, then we should um, make effort to quit smoking since this is something that destroys our health and something we, we must quit doing. And also if one consumes alcohol or other various drugs, one can look at the, the fifth precept and ask oneself these questions. So practicing in this way, we can realize peacefulness of mind, and then one is able to see the Dhamma of the Buddha. So may you all be well, may you all grow in blessings. <laughs>